Okay, today is January 15th, 2014, 11.16 in the morning. And I want to capture uh, in this recording the bad dream that I had last night about being around her family. And I also want to capture that I've been having more doubts this morning about what is on the debate of two there's there's really three i guess there's three opinions on this whole holy spirit gifts thing there are the people that believe that the gifts completely died out with the apostles i think all of them then there are the people who believe that the only evidence that you really have the holy spirit is if you speak in tongues and then there seems to be this John MacArthur or the cessationist view, which says that only the apostolic gifts <clears throat> have ceased. The office of the apostles and the prophets have ceased when the when the scriptures, the canon of scripture was completed. Okay, so they believe uh, this particular approach. John MacArthur believes that there is nobody that can work miracles and and. Uh, you know, heal people by themselves or give words of prophecy and so forth and so on. They believe that, as evidenced by the fact that there's not a human being living on the planet right now that can heal 100% of the people 100% of the time at will, like the apostles could, that even the continuationists have to agree that something has seceded, something has stopped. It's not the same as it was when the apostles were here. So that in and of itself is proof Something has seceded. Something has changed. So now what has? So this has just created a lot of anxiety because I don't want to put God in a quote box. I don't want to uh, say what he can and can't do or has and hasn't done that I don't have a clear uh, basis in the word of God on. And then I would also don't want to be deceived. So, you know... So much confusion on this. It, it definitely takes a good amount of study and discernment. And as I was just thinking about it, I saw two numbers, 1055, which is a reminder that's uh, Psalm 105.5, which says, Remember the works He has done. Remember the miracles He has done. And the wonders He has done. And the judgments. He, it's all about Him. So... I see those reminders, and I think to myself, okay, God's clearly telling me to remember. I feel like He's telling me to remember the things He did with me, particularly the whole 777 thing. So, God still does miracles, obviously. He does them through prayer, rather than through an office of a particular individual. This is what seems to be the case. I do believe still that I could lay my hands on somebody as the Bible declares me to do so and pray for them in faith and God, should he choose to answer that call of faith, could heal that person. But I also don't believe there's anybody or any crusade or miracle conference they could go to and be guaranteed a healing through some person. I don't believe that. So there's still some confusion on this, but then as I'm walking out, I see 11.11, which of you fathers, if his son asks for a fish would give him a snake. I think there's sufficient evidence in Scripture to see that Satan is a counterfeiter. The Egyptian magicians were able to do many of the miracles that Moses was able to do. And we can see multiple uh, accounts of there being false prophets and false teachers. Well, 
I don't suspect, based upon the scripture saying that everything in the world is under his control, that those false prophets are neutral or simply ignorant and driven by their own flesh. I suspect there is a malevolent intent and the kingdom of darkness is primarily behind them. After all, this is clearly a spiritual battle, a war. So that implies two people intentionally opposed to one another, not some random act of remiss. So as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking to myself, okay, there have been, I remember some ladies in Panama, the two times that evening I was told by a person over the email and a a lady at the dinner that I had a child who had the gift of prophecy. And one of the one of the ladies had said something to the effect of that I'm going to impact a lot of people and it seems like she used the word million. Well that's that's out there. That's that's a pretty far fetched. It's certainly not anything past what God can do, but that was a pretty bold thing to say. So the question then becomes, you know, is that something that the enemy was planting in my heart to get me all riled up or is that something that they just pulled out of their own imaginations because you know, clearly I've been given this gift of communication and maybe they saw my charisma at the time and they just assumed, you know, wow, God's going to, you know, I've said that to people before, you know, God's going to use you in a big way being kind of negligent of really thinking. I mean, I'm basically prophesying over that person. When I say that, I'm declaring God's position and I don't think I was right in that. What if God's plan for them was like Sandra McGee, a life of suffering and a love for God in spite of it and very little relief from it. And I just said, oh, God's got big plans for your life and gave them the the impression that, you know, he's going to do big, wonderful, positive, spectacular things. How am I to know that? I don't know the plans that God has for my life. I know that I'm to take it a day at a time and wait upon the Lord. So, you know, was that a real prophecy? And... I remember there was a woman who prophesied over I years ago through the the uh, Vineyard Church. I remember being scared of this lady. I, I mean, I literally remember being creeped out by this woman, and was really creeped out by her. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, but I was creeped out by her. And I remember her saying something, you know, your feet are on low ground. And God is going to take you off of this low ground and place you on high ground. And I believe he even prophesied to she would be a kindergarten teacher. We both knew hated being a teacher and even if God did prophesy that to her it it was such a short period she did become a teacher but not a kindergarten teacher and she did it for such a short period of time and such a long distance in the future that it would have been almost pointless for this lady to have even said anything I mean there, there there was probably eight seven or eight years distance between when that lady said that and when she actually did become a teacher and when she did it was for such a short period of time it was very inconsequential it was like a teacher's aide at a church. So I am rehashing some of the amazing things that I remember reading about in Reinhard Bonnke's book. I'm looking at John MacArthur and his group claiming that a lot of the stuff being said and done by Reinhard Bonnke is not true and a gross misinterpretation of the Bible. I don't know fully what that means, but then I do now know for the first time I I listened to him with this critical testing of the spirit. I mean, I have definitely been guilty of if somebody is enthusiastic, charismatic, they have a big crowd and a bunch of best-selling books and other people love them. I've been the first to kind of go, well, hey, they must be talking about good stuff. MacArthur says one of the quickest ways to know about false teaching a lot of times is by the size of the crowd. People are drawn to 
crowds. Now, there are a big crowd at his church, but they're drawn there for the truth, not for the crowd. He pointed out the difference. But I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, these things that he has argued and pointed out. And I watched a, a message by Reinhard Bonnke, who just seems to be such a sweet man. I cannot say that for his counterpart. There is something weird about, or what, but there's something that, that does seem off to me about Daniel Kalenda. And I am concerned that the reason why an unknown Reinhard Bunke can come to the United States and fill, largely being unknown, and completely fill a, a, a huge stadium with people so quick is because of the fact that people are, are coming there for the power. I mean, Charles Stanley, I don't think, would draw that, that type of an audience. Certainly, Joel Osteen would, because he's telling people about how God wants to bless them. And God wants to, to change their life and give them victory and bless them with prosperity. And there's plenty of carnal people that want to hear that message. So everything in that screams to me that MacArthur is right. Then when I heard the message preached in Orlando... I heard Reinhard Bonnke grossly misuse a passage of scripture from Isaiah that caused me to go, wait a second. I also noticed, although he did mention hell one time, there was no real mention or understanding of what surrender to God means. I also noticed that it seems to me like the people that are healed are weird. I mean, I was one of them, but I could be accused of being simple-minded in some things and just if somebody says oh I, I go for it somebody might think now well but mike you got to have childlike faith yes but not built on a platform of ignorance test every spirit paul says when i was a child i spoke and thought like a child but when he grows up he puts away foolishness there is a maturity that comes you still believe that god can do whatever he says that's childlike faith but you don't believe every work and every spirit. The Bible says over and over, there's many spirits that have gone out. And the reason why they could deceive is because so much of what they do looks like the real thing. Looks like the spirit of Christ is behind it. If it were so blatantly obvious, people would laugh and go, huh? No, it's very subtle. It's very subtle. Like the fact that I picked up on that Reinhard Bunke statement, that... That was very disturbing to me. And then I began to realize, I began to think, wait a second, whenever he talked about in his book, the ABCs of the gospel, he never explained what the ABCs were. He just always said, I presented them the ABCs of the gospel, and they came. And I one time also saw him preach that the rich man in hell was not in hell because he was a rich man. He says, was he in hell because he was a rich man? And the whole audience goes, no! And he says, it was because... They ignored the word of God. But the fact is, is that a rich man is in hell because he put his riches before God. So that's another kind of like, ooh, weird thing. He was in hell because he was rich. That's why Jesus said, so hard for a rich man. And again, the truth is, is that there are rich men who will make it, not very many, because they don't give generously and they put that hope in the riches and the riches is what they trust in rather than God. So... Having said this, I feel like, and feeling is actually something I want to stop doing so much while I'm on that note, that that has probably been one of my biggest problems is that I am 
very capable of feeling things. God has given me the ability to process emotions. And I think I've made a lot of decisions in my life based upon how I felt about something. If it feels good, if it looks good, if it sounds good, it must be good, rather than saying, hmm, how does this measure up with the Word of God? Is there anything going on here that contradicts the Word of God? Instead, I just give myself fully because I'm so passionate. I'm starting to now try and take my foot off of the passion uh, pedal a little bit. Not to take it off completely, but to, to make sure there's a, a, a healthy measure of study, understanding of doctrine, and truth behind what I'm passionate about. I used to be very passionate about helping people make a lot of money. And these words used to come out of my mouth as a sales trainer. Everything's funny with a pocket full of money. I was passionate about it. It doesn't mean I was right. I now look back and see how wrong I was. So I, I don't want to be passionately wrong, passionately deceived. And my greatest evidence of, of believing that things are out of line with Scripture is in how the gospel is presented. The one thing that's been brought to my attention by John MacArthur so much and Charles Stanley is the perversion of the gospel, the changing of it, the taking away from it till it is no longer the gospel that Jesus presented. And one of the biggest evidences or truths that I can anchor on, and I think to myself, okay, take all the gifts of the Spirit, take all the prophetic words and the issues of tongues or to not speak in tongues and healing or to not heal, miracles or to not miracles, apostolic gifts to non-apostolic gifts, take all of those arguments off of the table. What's the most important issue at hand? I think to myself, is there anything below this that we could look at to determine, are we playing the right game? Are we playing by the right rules? Are we standing on the right foundation? And, and that, that goes right back to, what is the gospel? What is the truth about how we are to be saved, what the need is to be saved, and how must we be saved and live according to Jesus? And what I am seeing, and what the argument is made, is that the gospel has been so watered down and changed to accommodate culture and to make it more palatable, that there has been arisen this what is called like a lordless gospel. And this is the idea that you can come to Jesus by intellectually believing in Him without the obligation to wholly change your lifestyle, your attitudes, your behaviors, and, and, and without having to surrender. And, and that you can come to Jesus first and surrender later. That you can you can you can work your way up to obeying and surrendering your life to God, but you can be saved. And and MacArthur explains that this is separating faith from faithfulness. That you can somehow or another have faith in Christ without being faithful to Christ. And this is a dra dramatically wrong and horrific turn away from the true gospel. And as I look at just that issue, and I use that as my measuring stick now, I'm starting to see that this is in play in almost all of these other teachers that I was either following or starting to believe or what have you. The gospel of Jesus Christ being Lord. Here's the biggest thing, is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10.9, I believe it is. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that He died and rose again, that He rose from the dead, you shall be saved. I started to realize in that moment, I believe the Holy Spirit just began to illuminate that Jesus as Lord, not Lord of other people, not Lord of the earth, not Lord in person, 
not not even that he's the son of God and that's all great and wonderful. No, but that Jesus as your Lord. Meaning, he is master. And he showed the two different words that this is in the Greek and what they both imply. One, one was despotes, I believe, and the other one was kurios. Kyrios. And kurios more pointed to the fact of somebody who has the ability to have power and control and say in your life and uh, despotes is somebody who is absolute authority and control over your life. Both of them imply master. Both of them imply the counter of that, that we are now slaves. In the Greek word, there's there's a Greek word that I just recently saw and he's saying that that we have removed this axiomatic implied relationship of master and slave that we see in the gospel even Jesus making reference to it saying that uh, a slave is not above his master nor is a student above his his teacher and that we when we come to Christ we basically pull the boat up on the beach we surrender the nets we leave it to whoever's there and wants to stay and when Jesus calls us we go it means we give up our right to go to our father's funeral first lord let me go and bury my father then i'll follow you no let the dead bury the dead there's this you no longer belong to you you no longer make decisions for you you no longer choose you're going to serve me i tell you what to do and we don't want to hear that i can understand why a gospel that does not include this teaching would become so popular i certainly wouldn't have always wanted to hear this now with the spirit of christ in me oh how i celebrate this I long to be a slave. In fact, now that I've even learned of this teaching, I've found myself getting on my knees and saying, Lord, I delight to be your slave. Oh, I I mean, just saying that word can just bring emotion of love and of humility and of a desire. My eyes are are wet thinking of the, the honor of being a slave to Jesus Christ. And this is absent from the gospel message of these people in the charismatic church who are chasing the power and the spirit and this guy Sean Smith showing up saying that there's power circles places where the spirit of God is stronger and you go to these places this is so opposite of what the Bible would teach the only proximity that ever existed of the power of the gospel was when Jesus himself was on the earth and there was a proximity issue of him being there and you had to be with him and where he went the presence of the Lord was but when he leaves the Holy Spirit comes, and He's available to anybody, anywhere, in any cave, on any place that will have and know and obey the Word of God, and that will commit sacrificing their life for Him through obedience, holiness, purity, these kind of things. So I see in this charismatic movement a huge emphasis on chasing the result without doing the necessary work. And the work is obeying Jesus. I'm not talking about works for salvation. I'm talking about a true repentance and a a belief in the true gospel brings a burning desire to obey because the Holy Spirit now takes up residence. That's how we know we're a true follower of Christ is we, we despise sin. Everything in me despises sin. And when I see somebody else call themselves a Christian... And they live contrary to what I feel I'm called to live by what I see in the Bible and what I am living because the Holy Spirit has taken over. It burns. It burns inside of me. So 
I just want to make a note here. Literally just started feeling lightheaded in the last three minutes. I started going, uh oh, I'm having a sugar attack. And I realized it's because I had no protein this morning. None. I'm starting to feel it in my body. I'm going to have to cut my walk short. I, I only had toast early this morning. And it's, it's very interesting to me that if I would have gone on an empty stomach, I can do better than if I eat just carbs. That's a really weird phenomenon. I, I don't often recall having these feelings if I go on an empty stomach. But since I ate carbs this morning, toast, and now I'm feeling a little dizzy and lightheaded. Weird. I'm, I'm starting to feel that hypoglycemic. Okay, so this whole thing is, there's been a lot of confusion around this, but when I look at the evidence and I take my eyes off of what I feel, I keep getting in trouble because I keep going, well, come on, I mean, Reinhard Bunke's such a nice guy and he's led millions of people to the Lord. Surely he can't be wrong. I keep wanting to justify that he must be right because he's a nice guy and because miracles have happened and because he's got these awesome stories. That's me basing evidence on miracles. Well, the Bible makes it clear that in these last times that the Antichrist is going to deceive people by many false miracles and signs and wonders. So there again, well, how do you know the right ones from the wrong ones, I would say. Well, Lord, how do I, how do I know which ones are of you and which ones are not? i got to turn around and go back. Whew. Um, I hate that much. This walk's being cut short. But I'll be feeling terrible here in under 15 minutes if I don't start getting close to getting something to eat. But, um, so the, the question is, how do you distinguish between the re- a genuine sign and miracle, okay, which I see something interesting in my life is the things that God has done, like through the 555-666-777, to me, those are amazing signs, of God's supernatural providence. I can't think of very many things that God has told me without using His Word. He keeps pointing me back. Now granted, He's using a very unorthodox way to do this by using these numbers that I pay attention to. When I say I pay attention to them, I don't look for them, they show up. And when they show up, I've learned to pay attention. I don't know why God has chosen me to do this. I don't know if God's wanting to do something new. I, I don't know if God is wanting to validate me as, as one of his true uh, keepers of his word. I see this was a main reason for miracles to throughout the Bible with Moses, Elijah, uh, obviously Jesus, obviously Paul and the disciples. The main point of the miracles was to firm and, and give credibility to the teachers and the workers. And so maybe God is doing that. I don't know. But could be he's just using me because I've made myself available to bring himself glory. But I also have a tendency to believe that what is going on, I, I really believe that the main two reasons why this is happening is because I have humbled myself to the Lord and have basically said to him, look, I cannot do any of this without you, God. I am completely helpless and I have completely humbled myself to the Lord. I have not chosen to be proud and say, I got this. You know, there's been moments of that, but the, the, the character, meaning the, the, the overall, my approach has been, God Almighty, help me. And I literally cried out to him. That, okay, so that's the first thing is I believe I'm weaker than most people.
Michael commentary. Brothers and sisters, as I was listening to what I've been listening to, you hear these recordings of me wrestling and celebrating and trying to understand the guidance of God in my life. It brings me to a place of such gratitude where my heart just melts before the Lord. When I realize and when I go through the scripture verses that I'm about to share with you, I am gripped with the greatest reality I have in my life, which is a life led by the Spirit and Word of God. A book thousands of years old bears thousands of years witness to the reality that the experience I and and many others are having is indeed the experience of walking with the living God through the living Spirit who wrote the living Word. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to get the speaking voice of God in your life, to humble yourself ever so humbly before God, to empty yourself, making straight paths for the Lord to travel, rid yourselves of all desire to live your life for yourself, and rid yourself of all of your choices of sins, bearing your soul, wiping the slate clean for the Lordship of Jesus Christ to have His way in your heart, and He will guide you. He will give you such living, sweet, personal guidance for your life. I am amazed, continually amazed, when I go back through these recordings and I reflect on what God's Word said will happen to those who humble themselves, will happen to those who fear Him, will happen to those who make straight paths for the Lord to travel, and will happen to those who obey His words and put into practice His teachings. Brothers and sisters, this is evidence of the living God. And it, it just amazes me because, see, my God is your God. My Father is your Father. And if you will do for Him as many thousands of others that have gone before Him have done for Him, He will do for you what He has done for many thousands of others that have gone before us. He's the living God, and the Word says that His ways are loving and faithful to all those who keep the commands of His covenant. I want to share with you with great joy what you're hearing in these recordings, which is founded and proven and given credibility to by the Word of God. I want you to hear what the Word of God says is supposed to be the experience of all who love Him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want you to hear that what I'm experiencing comes right out of the living Word of God. That this is not me wrestling with with delusions of my mind. This is not me wrestling with a religion. This is not me making some fairy in the sky. But that words written thousands of years ago are my actual everyday reality that you're hearing. That this is a man who's not known to anybody but just a handful of people through a tiny little website called RelentlessHeart.com. There is no grandiose YouTube ministry with tens of thousands of subscribers and millions of video views. He's just a man walking by himself with his God, with no flesh and blood around him to consult. And on the contrary, all the flesh and blood around him, even those who call themselves by the name of the one he is following hard after, call him a fool. And yet, my brothers and sisters, what you will hear in these words that I'm getting ready to share with you, which are not my words, they are the words of God, is the exact reality of my life, even up to this day. The most important thing I have ever had from my father is his guidance. 
I have said, God, I will go and do and be and endure anything under heaven as long as you will give me guidance. But my father, if you take away your speaking voice from me, I will surely die. Brothers and sisters, the greatest gift God has ever given me is his speaking voice. This unbelievable daily guidance that fits me for his purposes, that equips me to bring him glory, that gives me the sense of his presence, that makes me feel of amongst the most beloved that have ever lived, that he cares for me, he guides me, and this is available for any and all. Long before the year of 1973, long before I was ever even thought of, these words were a living reality that were being proven in the lives of some would say 10,000 times 10,000 glorious saints, far better than Michael Criswell has ever been or ever will be. This has been their living experience with the living God. When we fail to lay hold of that experience that God has said belongs to us and is the inheritance of those who serve the Lord, the responsibility is on us, not on God. I want to share with you now some of these scriptures that promise that I've collected over the years, God's guidance. And I want you to to be so joyous and praise the Lord God Almighty. Those of you who've been listening for hours and hours and hours and hours of trusting God in the wilderness, I want you to see that what Brother Michael is experiencing is simply the living God through the living spirit who wrote the living word and that this is available to you. And if you're not yet experiencing him like this, you need to continue to follow my example as I follow Christ. Every one of these words were written for you just as much as for me. The only reason my God in heaven is having me to share these examples and this story and this journey is so that others can walk on it and enjoy him forever, glorify him forever with me. Not so that I or anybody who's followed in my steps or any of the steps that I'm following in can simply be assured showcase of how great and glorious are a few choice of his saints, but so that all who call upon the name of the Lord, all who are willing to make straight paths for the Lord to travel, all who will dare to surrender all to him, all who will dare to love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, all who will obey him, all who will fear him, all who will love and holiness before him, can have this glorious experience Richest man I am that I know. Richest man I am that I know. And so it is for all of those who have this kind of guidance from God. No matter how unorthodox the method is, no matter how unbelievable it is to those around him and even to the carnal part of himself, this is evidence of the living God. Nehemiah 9.19 Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. By day, the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. Nehemiah 9.20 You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. Job 31.4 Does he not see my ways and count my every step? Job 33.14 For God does speak, now one way, now another, 
though man may not perceive it. Job 36.15 But those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Psalm 16.5 Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Psalm 23.3 He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 25, 4-5 Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Psalm 25, 9 He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Psalm 25, 12, Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. Psalm 25, 14, The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Psalm 32, 8 through 10, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Psalm 48, 14 For such is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us until death. Psalm 73, 23-24 Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me in to glory. Psalm 107.30 They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Psalm 119.104 I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Psalm 119.105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119.133 Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Psalm 143.8-10 Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Proverbs 2.8 For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Proverbs 3.5-6 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 11.5 The righteousness of the blameless makes a straight way for them, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. Proverbs 19.21 Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Proverbs 20.24 A man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? Brothers and sisters, I take a pause to help you see something I've mentioned many times. How then have I been able to understand my own way? God has directed me in so many ways, ways much higher than are the heavens above the earth, that I've never had the opportunity to trace them out until once I've been far enough behind them to be able to look back and with God's help by the Holy Spirit and His grace to then begin to see more and more of what God's wisdom was to guide me and direct me into the unknown, into things that didn't seem to make sense, or through perhaps months or even years of darkness, one step, one day, one week, one month at a time, holding my Father hand in hand, walking with His Word, through prayer, daily depending upon Him, and anchoring in His Word. How then could I understand my own way? I have never been able to understand my own way. I don't understand my own way now. I have no idea what tomorrow holds, but I know who's there tomorrow holding me. That is the Christian life of faith. Let's continue. Isaiah 26, 7. The path of the righteous is level. O upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth. Isaiah 31. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Brothers and sisters, are you able to see throughout the entirety of trusting God in the wilderness that there is a voice that is constantly telling me which way to go? Can you see that when people elevate me and talk about my faith or my strength, can you see how I am nothing but a worm drying up on a sidewalk after a rainstorm when my God comes for reasons unknown to me? And says, oh, little worm, I can do something with you if you'll humble yourself before me and acknowledge your, your worminess. I can be your guidance. I can be your light. I can be your salvation. I can be your deliverance. Do you see this? That God gives me this guidance and God gives me this direction and he's guiding me and giving me light and telling me this is the way. Walk in it. Isaiah 58, 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Brothers and sisters, how could you not listen to trusting God in the wilderness and say, My God in heaven, this is what I hear in trusting God in the wilderness. You, the living God, always guiding Michael, satisfying his needs in a sun-scorched land and strengthening his frame, making him like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters to this day have never failed. 
Brothers and sisters, this is beyond what I can put into words. This is, you and I have the opportunity while the rest of the world trusts in its own strength and trusts in its own godlessness and wickedness and cleverness and understanding. You and I have the opportunity to, by faith, walk with this invisible God and see these scriptures come to life. When I read the Bible, I am reading my life. That is what a true Christian does. A true believer in Christ can read the word of God and see if you were to be the one of my children who inherits my Bible, you will continually see written on page after page after page, my personal experiences, my name, my life is written into this living word. I'm able to say over and over again, yes and amen. This is what my experience is. Yes and amen. This is what my God has done for me. Yes and amen. This is how God delivered me. Yes and amen. This is the promise God. God fulfilled for me. It is written all throughout my Bible that my life is lining up with the scriptures in spite of the fact that I have nothing in me apart from him that is worthy of any of this. Jeremiah 10, 23. I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. End of commentary. I really do believe that I went from being Mr. I got this to Mr. Oh my gosh, Lord, I can't do anything without you. So I became very weak, weaker than most, which is a, one reason why I may be having this kind of assistance. The Lord's grace is heavy upon me. Paul says the Lord's grace was heavy upon him in power. And I think that's one reason is that because I'm weaker than most. The other reason is, is because I think I obey more. I'm not saying this in spiritual arrogance. Nobody should ever listen to this and think, wow, Mike thinks he's more obedient and da-da-da. No, 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 no. It's not that I think I'm better. I'm better off. Again, it comes back to I believe I'm better off. And yes, I do believe the testimony of the majority of people around me is that they don't see very many people obey God to the level that I am, that I have, I have by again, by God's grace. I started out with a desire to do so, and then he has repeatedly rewarded me. For doing it and I'm sure five years from now I'll be obeying him even better and knowing how to than I am now but as of right now I see these two things I see that I'm weaker than most and I obey more than most so is it any wonder why God may provide a greater level of grace that comes in the form of me getting clear direction from him that is that is undoubtable you cannot watch the story of the 666, the 555, and the 777s and come to any other conclusion other than God himself gave me this abundance of grace and directed my path in such a way that it made it almost impossible for me to lose sight of his path and impossible for me to uh, miss giving him all this glory that he's getting from this testimony. And so that's not anything I did. I'm not doing greater things than Jesus from the standpoint of I'm zapping people or it's coming from me. There are There is an element of that is maybe an aspect of something that's greater than the Lord, but it's simply come through prayer, my praying and depending upon him to do it. God has done this thing, not me. That's the first thing. All the great things I'm seeing, the getting a free car and God telling me in advance it was coming. and I didn't have to go to a man, to a conference, to a crusade, to a miracle event to some place in a foreign city. I didn't have to go chase it. God has brought these words and these promises to me. This lines up exactly with what Charles Stanley believes, that if you will get the sin out of your life, that's another thing. 
if I may be so bold, how many people are as afraid of sinning as I am? Anybody that would want to compare my level of experience of hearing from the Lord and being my path directed and all this crazy cool stuff that God's doing should also compare, are they walking in the level of purity that I am? I mean, not in the level of perfection, meaning I stumbled with I stumbled with my ex-girlfriend Jill and ended up having premarital sex. I knew I shouldn't, but there was nothing in the Spirit of Christ in me that allowed me to stay in that. It railed. It made me feel like I wanted to die. I, I couldn't keep doing that. So I repented. The Lord even guided me to that. So my inclination is to burn against sin in my life or in the lives of other people, to stay away from it. I don't want to feed my sin nature. How many people do this? God has given me the grace to do this. I look at these people in the charismatic movement that I've been hanging around with, and I'm sitting there watching them, and their eyes are up and down on women when they go by, and, you know, there's this, this woman who constantly wants to bring up her, her own sexual desires, and, you know, we're in a different age bracket, so it's not like it's something that it's inappropriate from, you know, she's coming on to me or anything, but she just lacks the discretion in the way she dresses and the way she talks and carries herself and she spills out words just I feel like God just said just casually throwing it, throwing it out there and I go I'm afraid to act like you do why why do I have this fear of the Lord and you don't I love him dearly I mean I absolutely love him and I don't walk around being afraid of him but I'm afraid to dishonor him big time and when I do dishonor him I cry like a baby I get on my face and just begging to forgive me why would God not reward that kind of behavior why would God not reward that level of obedience is this me being arrogant is this me being spiritually prideful no everybody has the opportunity to obey God like this but people don't and if somebody talks about how yeah I'm, I'm really strong and obeying the Lord and trusting him and loving him the first thought might be to somebody who's not living like well this guy's arrogant no this guy loves the Lord he's obeying what the Bible says what does Paul say? Use me as your example. Imitate my way of living. Consider your leaders and the, and the outcome of their way of life. That's saying compare yourself. Look at the example of other people who are living it out. Don't, oh, that person deserves to, no. I mean, as soon as I dare stand up against any kind of sin or suggest that another person is, you know, have you ever thought about what this person's doing or whatever? I'm immediately, oh, you're just so tolerant, so judgmental, black and white. There you are. You're in this one group and everybody else is in another group. Well, you know what? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said there's two groups of people. The narrow path people, the wide path people. The life people, the destruction people. The heaven people, the hell people. Sons of light, sons of darkness. Sons of God the Father, sons of God the devil here on earth. So it's, it is black and white according to the scripture. I know a lot of people hate that idea. But I just don't see any way around it biblically. So I've said all of this as a way of getting all this stuff kind of out of my head. It helps me so much. I'm still feeling so lightheaded right now because I need to eat bad. But, uh, you know, I'm just really looking forward to getting through this. I feel still... Um, it's difficult to go through all this stuff. It is, it's not fun to have to, you know, rethink. And it's very uh, humbling to, to think that you have so, you know, quickly embraced 
ideas and people and teachings that just because they sounded good, I realize now what a slap in the face that is to the Lord. And it just, it really breaks my heart to think that I have been given to, because of my enthusiasm and my passion, I've been given equally to mistruths, half-truths, or flat-out lies. And it's very um, frustrating and humiliating and disappointing. And at the same time, I am so glad that the Lord is opening my eyes to this and I don't have to continue to live like this. And I am very concerned about how hard it is to, to break away from incorrect teaching. How hard it is, how easy it is to be deceived. Even an intelligent person who loves God could be so easily deceived. I think that John MacArthur, when he opens up the Strange Fire Conference with the words that the church can die of a thousand heresies without discernment. That the church's greatest need, I mean, just when I even say those words, I just want to scream, yes, this is the truth. That without discernment, this church's greatest need is discernment. And without it, the church can die of a thousand heresies. It's like having spiritual aids, he says. And I just think that is such a profound, true statement. And I I am uh, so thankful that God is opening my eyes to these issues and helping me. But it has not been fun to be confused. And there are still things. I don't think I have all the... I mean, obviously, I don't even come close to having all the answers on this topic, and I'm sure there'll be things that maybe I'll never fully know, but what I have to do is I need to be okay with the experiences I've had so far that have come to me from the Lord that all stem from Scripture. If I was having all of these kind of esoteric experiences and mystical things happening to me with numbers, and yet they were not all founded on God's Word, well, then I had better be in trouble. I would better be checking myself from the neck up. But because, just like the psalmist says, guide me with your word. And he says, you know, your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. That is, that is happening for me, literally. God literally is using his word. Not like, oh, it's just such a neat thing and it illuminates and gives you wisdom. Yeah, it does. But God's word is literally being a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path by him using these numbers that constantly point to scriptures that direct me. And I, I have just learned to trust so much in God's ability to direct me in this way. And as unnormal, unorthodox, unusual as it is, it is what it is. And it's right in line with the fact that God speaks primarily through his word. It's no different than a person receiving a a devotional that has a scripture inside of it that they've already seen two other times and they feel an impression that, wow, maybe God's trying to tell me something and there it is in their inbox by divine providence. That's God guiding that person with his word. It's just that with me, I guess because I signed up, maybe I'm getting a lot more of it than the average person is because of the fact that my situation is so weak and I have expressed just a desperate, desperate need for the Lord, and I am committed to obeying Him at all costs to the best of my ability empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And so it seems that I'm getting this measure of grace that is unnormal. But I'm not chasing experiences. If I, This has got to be the most probably important point I'll make in this whole thing that lines up that the Spirit testifies. I have peace in my heart when I say these words. That I'm not chasing the experiences of God. I did buy into this for a short period of time. I did see the power of what I saw on some of these videos and get and, and there was a, a spirit of enticement and intoxication. And you, you, you start to want to run to have this experience and to get that power and to get your life to work. I want comfort and power and strength and prosperity and you want to run to those things. I did see that for a time. And then I began to go, wait a second, is this of God? Is this of God? The, the, the main thing that I was, the main point I was going to make is that I have not encountered any of the things I've encountered. I've not had any of the experiences that I've had because I've chased the experiences. I think that is so important of a point. I believe it lines up with all the stories in Scripture, and that is that people in the Bible do not chase experience. Most of the people in the Bible were minding their own business when all of a sudden God shows up and they have an encounter. They weren't chasing the encounter. Yes, we are to seek God. How do we do this? Through His Word, through prayer, through committing ourselves to holiness and purity. This is seeking God, not by seeking some mystical, energetic experience or, or you know, esoteric things going on outside of the Bible. Those things certainly may happen, but I believe they're only genuine if they come as a result of God either profoundly seeking you, and you're not a believer, such in the instance of Saul or Abraham, neither one of them were believers in God, and God just shows up one day and has them have an encounter with Him. Almost all of the encounters I see in the Bible, a person was going about their business or obeying God and praying, and then they had an encounter. It wasn't that they were seeking the encounter, they were seeking God or in prayer, and God added experience and encounters and divine providence to their desire for Him, not the other way around. And it seems to me a lot of people are seeking the experience and the power and all the mysticism of it in hopes of finding more of God, but you find more of God this side of that stuff. It's, it's putting Him first, not His stuff. And I think that by, by trying to seek the experience, I mean... If I were Satan, I would be all over that. I would be over there with my little magic pixie dust stirring up, just like this guy Sean Smith says, creating little power areas where people are gullible enough to go there. And then you got people like Bill Johnson who has people that fly from all over the world. People are flying all over from all over the world to go to this guy's church to, quote, get a glimpse of what God's going on. In his own words, he says... Pay whatever the cost to go where this is happening and be a part of it. This is what he says. As if somehow or another God is no longer omnipresent. That he only exists in power in these certain little quadrants. No, that sounds more like the devil to me. The devil is not omniscient. The devil has limited resources. God does not. God could be with a man in power sitting in a cave somewhere in the middle of the desert. He doesn't have to go to some geographical location. The Bible says that there was the presence of the Lord was available to do miracles. That's because Jesus was there. Now the presence of the Lord is anywhere a follower of Jesus Christ is. It makes it clear. John 7, 17, John 14, 21, and 14, 23. These are three scriptures 
that have a basis for experiencing God, but they all have a prerequisite of obedience. John 7, 17, if anyone chooses to do God's will, he had just said, my teaching is not my own, it comes from God. That means if you choose to put my teaching into practice, obeying my words, you'll find out whether or not my teaching comes from God or I speak on my own. How do you find out? Through experience. God's divine providence, answers to prayer, peace, joy, love, happiness, passion for God, um, a commitment to purity, provision, providence, all these things will begin to happen. Answers to prayer. These, these, these gives you evidence to your faith. John 14, 21 and 14, 23, if anyone loves me and keeps my commands, my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. If anyone keeps my commands, I will love him and I will show myself to him. These are experiential promises based upon the prerequisite of obedience. And most people don't seem to want to do the sacrifice, give up everything, obey God, you know, become a slave. Most people don't seem to want to go that route. They want to, no, I want the experience and the impact and the effect and the prize and the reward and the money without the, without the work, without having to earn it, without having to do all that hard stuff. And so, man, I'm telling you, if I were Satan, I'd be all over that. Find some people that were willing and open to his power, that were deceived enough to embrace it, and then start doing signs and wonders and sprinkling people with gold dust and putting gold teeth in their mouth and dropping gems from the sky or whatever, that all sounds like the devil's hokey pokey to me. I mean, that really does. I, I love it when, I think it was John MacArthur said, if God was gonna, God were going to give you a tooth, he would not give you a gold tooth. God would give you a real tooth. He would not give you a gold tooth. What was, what, why would he do that? It's almost like God makes it such that the devil does have to counterfeit that he can't duplicate exactly what God does. He's got to have some measure of a counterfeit so that he can say, do you really think I was the one that put a gold tooth in somebody's mouth one day and hold them accountable to believe in that kind of junk? Or do you really think that I would sprinkle a man while he's preaching with gold dust as my way of showing I was with him? Is there any biblical evidence of that being needed or required anywhere, even close to, especially in the New Testament? No. This is how you will know the truth from the false teachers. The true ones I will sprinkle with pixie dust. I mean, I could see though, my first thoughts when I watched it was like, wow. My first instinctive thoughts before I checked my discernment meter, I just simply immediately say, how does this make me feel? What does it look like? Wow, you know, God's awesome. He can do anything. And I bypass the idea of discerning it. How wrong is that? How wrong is that? Scary how many people have been sucked into this kind of stuff.